ott van még Nikolic, Nígó felé, Nígó helyzetben, gól! Gól! Nígó kiegyenlít! Bravo Loik, bravo Lolikám, Lajos, szép gól volt! Sallai, azon mellett még el tudjuk hozni. Sőt, Szoboszlai kap labdát. Szoboszlai előtte Nikolic bent középült könyves. Szoboszlai, könyves szép helyet csinált neki. Szoboszlai lő, gól! Gól! Hát ez ott van! Milyen hosszabbítás! Semmilyen! Semmilyen! Le kell fújni! Elvére kell menni! Nem is kell menni sehova! Itthon kell maradni! Maradj otthon! A Puskás stadionban jövőre! Szoboszlai góljával kettő! Welcome to the Hungarian Football Podcast. My name is Tomás Mortimer again. And on the show today, we're speaking about Hungary's second opponent in Group F, France. And on the show today, we have Jonathan Johnson, the French football correspondent at CBS Sports over in America. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. Hey there. Good to be with you. Thanks a lot for the invite and uh, looking forward to having a chat. Yeah, no problem. Great to have you on. So last time... France won the World Cup back in 1998. The next European Championships, they went on to win. So is that going to happen again? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I definitely think that it's more possible now than it would have been last year. I think, uh, you know, had, had the Euros gone ahead as planned in 2020, um, France probably would have struggled to win it. Um, you know, I think that they have become quite complacent post-World Cup. Uh, and I think that the return of Karim Benzema has given them the sort of, uh, you know, new momentum uh, that they needed uh, because they've looked quite stale now for some time. And to be honest, I think that under Didier Deschamps in particular, France have become uh, a team that really thrives under competitive pressure, sort of in that tournament environment. I mean, it's a, to be honest, it's a format that suits him best as a coach. So I guess it's natural that it would be reflected uh, by his squad as well. But uh, no, I certainly think that the chances of, of France adding the European to their world title is stronger now than it was 12 months ago. Of course, I've, I spoke to a few people from different countries and there's kind of like a, an almost an apathy in a lot of nations regarding this tournament. It's been a really long season. Well, it's almost been kind of two seasons, really, because we had such a, a mini break last summer. Is that kind of the same in France or is there kind of a, a real enthusiasm to try and yeah, almost do the double, as it were? I mean, obviously there is um, an enthusiasm, desire to see France do the double and, and be European and world champions once again. Uh, but also at the same time, I, mean, I guess it depends on, on which members of the squad we're talking about, because obviously the guys who are based in France... Uh, didn't get to finish their 2019-20 campaign because the the season was curtailed in France, uh, whereas the guys, uh, you know, sort of playing their trade elsewhere in Europe, uh, you know, they did manage to go all the way. Uh, and then for the guys based in France, uh, you know, I think it was more difficult in a way because they immediately rushed back. I mean, particularly if you're, you know, a French international who was playing for PSG or Lyon, who went on deep runs in the Champions League last season. Uh, they, it was harder for them because they, you know, sort of had to rush a pre-season in order to be ready to compete in the Champions League, and then they had to jump back immediately into Ligue 1, and you know that that wreaked havoc with um, the conditions of a lot of players. 
uh, and some of their form has, uh, has suffered because of that. So I think it, it varies depending on the members of the squad, uh, you know, but, you know, I do still think that there is um, a feeling of enthusiasm towards the French side. But like I said, uh, you know, I think a lot of that now stems from the, the reintegration of, of Karim Benzema. I think it makes the French national team more interesting for the for the public than they were coming into this. I mean, if you look at the way that they started the World Cup qualifiers, it's been you know, pretty, I, w- I wouldn't say pathetic, but it's, you know, they, they've been very sluggish so far. There was a poor draw at home to Ukraine, uh, where Ukraine somehow came away with a point in the qualification without actually getting a shot on target of their own because of the known goal that scored for them. Uh, and then the, the other two games, uh, you know, the performances have just been very, very bland, uh, you know, leaving a lot to be desired. So there's definitely room for improvement for France, and many people are expecting them to react positively to being back in that uh, tournament environment that I was speaking about earlier. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Kerry Benzema there. Like, it, it, from an out, as an outsider's point of view, it kind of it felt like it came from nowhere that uh, that introduction for Benzema, and like you say, it's bought, built just not just excitement in in France, but probably around Europe and the world. To be honest, it's it's such an exciting thing to see Benzema potentially line up with with Mbappe and Griezmann in a front three. Um, how do you well kind of where did it come from, and then also how do you kind of expect him to to fit into that side? That's a good question. I mean, it came out of the blue for a lot of us here in France as well. There was no sort of pre-warning. Uh, Didier Deschamps, when he's been speaking about it since, said that there's been a couple of exchanges between them, uh, but the the decision came about quite quickly to, to, to want to reintegrate him. But, you know, the door has been closed on Benzema in the past. I'd say more so by the French Football Federation than Deschamps himself. So, you know, perhaps it was a question of getting, uh, you know, um, the OK from uh, the bosses upstairs before making the decision to to bring him back. But, I, you know, I do think that there's a lot of logic when you look at France on the pitch at this moment in time. Uh, you know, Deschamps doesn't have too many of his, uh, you know, 2018 veterans left to call upon. Giroud's hanging in there by the skin of his teeth in the squad. And this is, you know, almost certainly his last international tournament. Uh, and they needed more of a goal threat, but they also needed somebody who'd be able to, you know, lay on opportunities for others as well. Somebody who could combine well with Griezmann and Mbappe. Uh, and, you know, when you look at the form that Benzema has had, um, you know, in the near six year period that he's been out of the national team, his form, you know, has never really dipped that badly, uh, you know, and it's sort of come to a crescendo with this phenomenal season that he's just had with Real Madrid. Because many people thought that with Cristiano Ronaldo leaving Real, uh, you know, they might bring in another talisman. There were doubts over whether Benzema could actually step up and, you know, adequately replace him. Uh, obviously, Real moved for Eden Hazard. That move hasn't worked out. But Benzema, uh, you know, I think has actually thrived on that challenge. Uh, more than many people thought that he would, uh, you know, and you, obviously he's got a, a massive fan or had a massive fan uh, in Zinedine Zidane as his coach at Real Madrid until he left recently. So, you know, I think in many ways, if we are talking only about the, you know, what goes on on the pitch, it's logical that France have, uh, have recalled Karim Benzema because I don't think that there is another French player with the possible exception of uh, Mbappe and Conte, uh, you know, who have had a stronger individual season than, than Benzema. Okay, Real haven't won 
uh, you know, anything of note this season. Uh, it's another trophyless campaign for them, but <clears throat> doesn't take away from the fact that it was a fantastic individual term for for Benzema. So, uh, you know, it's it's weird because the, the situation surrounding Karim Benzema is likely to be a bit strange during the tournament because he is actually due to go to court. Uh, later this year, uh, we've you even had Matteo Valbuena speaking out publicly, uh, saying that if it improves France's chances of success at the Euro, then he's he's all for it. He's behind it, and in any case, he thinks that Deschamps will win in in all situations because if France win, uh, it'll be because he recalled Benzema basically, uh, and if uh, if he doesn't, then you know he's kind of inferring that people will blame Benzema and Benzema's return as opposed to blaming Deschamps. So, you know, that, that whole situation uh, is, is going to be fascinating to see how it unfolds off the pitch. But I think everyone is sort of salivating at the, the prospect of France being able to line up guys like Mbappe, Griezmann uh, and Benzema in the attack and, and just hoping that it all clicks, uh, you know, because there's been a lot sort of made about the fact that France is national team starting 11 is you know pretty much a dream 11 uh, mm. anywhere in world football at this moment in time uh, but we've also seen France <clears throat> flatter to deceive when uh, they performed in recent years that they're, they're always slow starters in these competitions and they generally generally uh, you know grow in momentum as we saw at the World Cup in 2018. So I guess my question is like why now and not three years ago? What what's what's actually changed in that in that time period for Benzema to be recalled? I mean, obviously time has passed, so you know feelings are a little less raw than they were. Although you know, obviously with him going to court, you know it is still an issue and it's still out there. Um, but I'd also say that you know France just need somebody like Benzema now. Mm. That's that, that that's probably the main uh, observation to make. You know, Giroud is not the the same guy that he was at previous international tournaments. Uh, you know, and obviously a lot has already been made about the fact that he didn't score a single goal uh, in Russia. Uh, but he's been sort of hanging on in there since. Uh, but, you know, barely playing uh, over the second part of the season for Chelsea is, is, has not done him any good uh, at his age. And, you know, I don't think that France really had any other choice. I mean, there's so few um, guys with this, with a similar profile to, to Giroud. And I'm, I'm not saying for one minute that Benzema and Giroud are, uh, are of the same profile. But, you know, Benzema is such a complete player. He's able to play pretty much any role in the attack. Uh, you know, and he has that physicality as well that, you know, only really someone like Giroud and maybe somebody untested like Ludovic Ayok at uh, Strasbourg would be able to offer. So instead of going with somebody completely untried, uh, you know, Deschamps has, uh, you know, sort of swallowed pride on, on behalf of the French Football Federation in, in calling Benzema back. Yeah, because like you say, Benzema can do everything, and like it's not like you're sticking someone who's just a, a, a number nine in there and and hoping it to work out. Because Benzema's link-up play is so good as well, so that you can just imagine, like on paper, it just looks like a perfect fit. So it, it kind of just yeah, no wonder like everyone's salivating at the thought of it. You talk about the dream eleven, like what what would what do you? see the first 11 being in, in the first game I think you guys play um is it Germany first it is yeah, it's Germany first isn't it yeah uh it's uh, I mean obviously there are there are certain guys who are, who are nailed on 
to be starting. You, you know, you've got the likes of Hugo Lloris, who, you know, bar, uh, you know, um, injury will be starting between the sticks. Uh, and it's after that, you know, that I think quite a few of the, uh, the, the players in the starting 11 will, will pick themselves. I mean, Deschamps is somebody who really, you know, believes strongly in, uh, in, in consistency. But there, there's a few interesting poses coming into this one because some of the guys who would normally start, uh, you know, are either unavailable or, uh, you know, are completely out of form. I mean, the central defensive pairing, for example, uh, is, is going to be an interesting one because Varane hasn't exactly had the best of times with Real Madrid of late. Uh, and Fresno Kimpembe for PSG has not looked the same player um, since Mauricio Pochettino came in at Parc des Princes. So it's going to be interesting to see how Deschamps constructs uh, a defence, whether he goes with guys regardless of form uh, or whether he picks, you know, guys who have been performing better. Obviously, there's questions over the fitness of some players. Conte, uh, you know, showed once again just how important a player he is uh, in the Champions League final for Chelsea this past weekend. Uh, and he's, you know, I think if he's fit, uh, that's a massive, massive boost uh, for France, as it was for for Chelsea. But, uh, you know, it was kind of touch and go for a while whether he'd be able to, to participate in the Champions League final. Uh, and then you've got guys like uh, Luca Hernandez, uh, you know, as well, who's not really been playing that regularly for Bayern. So it's a, you know, it's a very, it's a talented squad. There's just uh, not necessarily uh, as many sort of nailed on players for, for the starting 11 roles uh, as, as many would have expected from a, from a Deschamps side. Uh, you know, he's got plenty of talent in there, like Jules Koundé, for example, from Sevilla. But will Deschamps really want to start uh, with somebody who's, you know, will be making their senior international debut uh, in such an important tournament against a team like Germany, who, despite their struggles under Joachim Löw, you know, still have some fantastic players in that group. So it's, uh, no, it's, I, I think it's uh, worked out well for France, the fixture list and starting with Germany, then coming up against Hungary and finishing against Portugal, because that ensures that they're going to have to be completely switched on for all three group matches, uh, you know, as opposed to sort of taking uh, the Germans and the Portuguese more seriously than the Hungarians with all due respect to, to Hungary. You know, I think that, would have been uh, the the expectation, especially based on on what we saw in 2018, where France played out that awful draw with uh, Denmark at the end of the group stage because they knew that they were pretty much through already. Jindul Salai és vissza lehet tenni Kleinhelslenek és újra Salainak és ott a gól helyzet és a gól és a gól Salai vezet Magyarország. 550 nap után be lehet azt piszkálni, pöckölni, tuckolni. Egy ide! És micsoda támadás volt! We speak about kind of almost not troubles, but uh, concerns maybe at center half. Obviously Laporte's um decided to play for Spain instead of instead of France and I know he's not had the the greatest of, of seasons uh, he's been out injured for a lot of the first part of it and then hasn't been a, a permanent fixture of the of the defense since coming back 
how was the kind of reaction to to him choosing Spain and and do people maybe see that as a missed opportunity there? No, you know what? <clears throat> it didn't actually generate that much um, chatter over here in France. You know, I think people trust Deschamps uh, implicitly when it comes to these kind of things. And Deschamps has seen something in, in Laporte's past. Um, my understanding is it stems from his time with the under-21s. Uh, he didn't like his attitude uh, towards you know, sort of proving yourself before, uh, you know, making your way into the senior setup. At that time, there were more senior figures uh, ahead of him. So it was understandable that he was sort of in the queue waiting to come in. But, you know, people were making a, a big deal about his his performances for Athletic Club. And then obviously that led to the move to Manchester City. Laporte is, is you know, is a, he's a very good player on his day. Uh, you know, and it's not because Deschamps didn't rate him. But Deschamps places a lot of importance on the the attitude of the player. Uh, And there's been instances in the past, and there are other players as well, uh, who Deschamps has seen something in their attitude that he doesn't like and wants it to be far away from the squad. And that also possibly goes some way towards explaining why somebody like Alexandre Lacazette doesn't get a look in for France as well, despite playing... Uh, you know, a, a fairly consistent role for Arsenal, despite what's been, you know, quite a catastrophic period for the club. Yeah, and and obviously you just spoke about the games that you've got coming up. How do you kind of, well, kind of, I guess, what are the expectation, expectations of the nation? I guess, what what do you kind of expect to, to kind of happen in the group? I mean, France, uh, Germany, by all accounts, are quite apathetic about this tournament and in a little bit of chaos considering their recent games, they got battered by Spain last year and, and lost to North Macedonia in the qualifier. And um, yeah, a little bit of ramshack obviously went out in the group stage in the last World Cup. And Portugal, obviously a great team on paper, but don't always play that great together. How, how do you kind of, I mean, and then you've obviously got Hungary as well, which um, I mean, you would expect to, to roll us over, but you never know. I mean, the, the game is in Hungary with full capacity so I guess that's kind of one advantage we do have how, how do you kind of expect the uh, group stage to go well, I definitely think that France will be confident of being able to finish in the top two but you know let's not forget that the way that these groups are structured means that you can actually still finish third in advance mm-hmm. so you know I don't think that France will have too many concerns about uh, you know getting out of the group that said they shouldn't completely ignore uh, you know what's gone on in the past you know, we remember when France have gone to uh, World Cups as, as heavy favourites and then crashed out in humiliating fashion in the group stage, notably 2002. Uh, you know, so, you know, there is definitely, you know, um, lessons that can be learned from that or, or at least, you know, so there's something to bear in mind there. Uh, Germany, it's they're, they're a difficult team to measure because now that the, the squad know that Joachim Löw is leaving, and they know that Hansi Flick is going to come in. And then you've got the likes of uh, Muller and Hummels who have been recalled as well. You know, they're kind of, I'm not going to, obviously they're not an unknown quantity, but it's very difficult to predict how they're going to fare, you know, because mm-hmm. they can play with nothing to lose, in which case that would make Germany very dangerous. Uh, you know, or they could just continue in this funk that they've been in for the last sort of, uh, 18 to 24 months uh, under Love, which, you know, would then probably make them uh, you know the most likely candidates to finish third uh, in the in in the group. 
Hungary as well. Uh, you know, uh, France should not disrespect them at all. We saw, uh, you know, Hungary have, uh, you know, a very positive Euro campaign on French soil back in 2016. And it's, uh, you know, they're, 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 like you said, you know, to, to be playing with home advantage is a, is, is a big boost. And there are still some, some good players in the squad as well. So, uh, you know, I do think that France will, uh, you know, know that they're, going to be facing uh, a challenge but it also helps to have one of the sort of bigger two nations uh, up first in Germany uh, and then coming up against Portugal later. Portugal and France are quite similar in their approaches to uh, these kind of tournaments where they normally start slowly and keep things quite tight uh, and then open up a little uh, as the the tournaments progress. I think France due to the fact that they're, they they have such great quality in, in all positions, I think uh, are probably more likely to open up a bit more than Portugal. Uh, you know, Portugal's set up under, under, under Santos has been quite defensive, but it, you know, it has also brought them silverware. Uh, so it's, you know, I, I definitely think it's uh, a group that France are capable of finishing top of, uh, and the expectation is that they will advance out of it uh, you know, but I, I don't think anyone's too worried about France not securing one of the top two spots. And you kind of speak about how Portugal set up. How do you think France will set up? Because is it fair to say you kind of played a counter-attacking style in, in the last World Cup or is that maybe being a bit too harsh? Mm, I don't I don't think it was necessarily counter-attacking, but I think when you place such emphasis on defence and then you have somebody as quick uh, as Mbappe, uh, you know, bursting onto the scene as he was at that time. That's it is it, natural that it feels kind of like it's counter-attacking uh, at some at some points. Uh, you know, I think that France are more like most likely going to go with probably a four-three-three uh, as like a rough shape. Uh, it just depends on how many um, sort of of, of Deschamps regulars that he's really going to be able to call upon. Uh, and rely upon because, you know, we've seen Paul Pogba be a different player for France uh, than the guy we've seen for Manchester United. But, you know, is he going to be able to, you know, replicate the sort of performances uh, and the leadership as well that we saw from him uh, at the World Cup in, in 2018? That's a, that's a big question. Uh, and obviously, you know, do, does Benzema immediately slot into that team or is he going to have to start on the bench and, and gradually be brought into the into the 11 you know with a view to having him starting in the in the latter stages you know there's there's quite a few potential risks there for Deschamps and this, I, I mentioned Koundé earlier you know to have such a talented central defender who's never even tasted senior uh, international football uh, you know that that is quite risky but then again you know the same was being said of Antiti uh, in 2018 and he ended up playing a key role in, in helping France to win the World Cup uh, and his international hopes are now pretty much over because of, uh, you know, the sacrifices he made for, for both France and then later for, for Barcelona as well. So uh, I do think that Deschamps will try to go with, uh, you know, some sort of familiar system, which which is why I say he'd probably look to, sh- to shape it around a 4-3-3. Uh, but it'll really depend on the the form of, of some of uh, the form of fitness of some of his key guys, and that's why I mentioned Conte earlier. You know, because if if he is fit and able to start, then he immediately brings so much more balance to the rest of the team in the middle of the field. Yeah, and, and just before kind of we wrap up, I just want to touch on a couple of players who almost like are a little bit enigmatic, um, but usually do 
I mean, th there's been kind of cases of of these two not being able to play together like that well, and it's, it's Paul Pogba and Griezmann really. And but Pogba's, like you say, he's kind of had an on and off season again with United. It's, it's kind of been the case since he moved there, and then Griezmann's not well. He's been pretty much on and off with Barcelona. I mean, second half of the season he's got a lot better, but. How do how do you kind of expect those two to well how how does Griezmann kind of fit into that front three as well and um, and then Pogba like he, he does seem to be a, a different player for France and do you, do you kind of expect that to see that again I guess it just helps when you have an absolute machine like Kante alongside you as well yeah absolutely I, I think it it certainly helps him in terms of his performances on the pitch. But the other thing that I would say is, you know, Pogba feels like one of the more senior figures uh, in the France dressing room. You know, he's able to express himself fully. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that's a problem for him at Manchester United either, but he obviously feels more at ease uh, in that French dressing room. And I think that brings the best out of his character, uh, you know, in terms of sort of, you know, leading the charge uh, while, while, while looking to win competitions like the World Cup and, and the Euro as well. Uh, I mean, you know, I do think that Griezmann as well is, he's he's majorly important to France. Obviously, he's coming off the back of a disappointing season for Bar Barcelona. Uh, but, you know, he will be central to the way that, that, that France play. You know, he's sort of the... The, the creator, the thinker, the, the, the schemer in the, in, the, in the French setup and whether he now has somebody who can share that burden with him in, in Benzema, uh, you know, we'll sort of see how, how that plays out. Uh, but, you know, there's, there, there's definitely a feeling that France could be strong with, you know, Griezmann and Mbappe either side of, of Benzema or Griezmann, you know, slightly sort of tucked in uh, behind Benzema so that they're both sort of playing in a, in a, in a sort of central role. But, uh, you know, you're right there, you know, there are question marks over some of the, you know, some, some of the players in there. And, you know, they are kind of enigmatic in that they generally tend to save their best form for uh, the, the international uh, competitions as opposed to what they're doing at club level. But I also think, you know, that's an, another potential advantage for France. You know, there's quite a few of these key players who are coming into this tournament with something to prove, whether it's, uh, you know, been a, a difficult season for them at club level. Uh, but in Benzema's case, obviously, it's having been absent for so long. Uh, and then, you know, others, they're sort of having their place in the squad question, where, you know, whether they're still needed uh, for France uh, and that sort of thing. So, you know, I don't think there's going to be any shortage of motivation, uh, you know, for uh, some of the key elements of, of Deschamps' team. And just before we finish, um, how do you how do how is kind of Hungary perceived in in France? Like, what kind of team are most people expecting? I mean, it's kind of weird. Like, Hungary and France haven't met in a, in a competitive game since nineteen eighty six, which was which was at the World Cup. Um, and um, I don't think they've ever. Um, I think they've met in just a European Championship game once in nineteen sixty four. Met in a, a couple of qualifiers since uh, since then in like in the seventies, but like it's been a long time basically since we've we've played each other in a competitive game. How is how are kind of Hungary perceived? Are they kind of just seen as they're going to be the whipping boys in this group? I mean, that's how most people expect. Is that kind of um, kind of the, how they're just perceived? I mean, I I don't think they're necessarily uh, expected to be the 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 whipping boys, but obviously there is an expectation that when you're in a group 
with France, Germany, and Portugal. Uh, you know, there's there's sort of an obvious candidate to to finish last. But you know, there is a recognition uh, in France that they're you know they Hungary are a classic team uh, internationally because of obviously their you know their their decorated history uh, okay it might not be have, have been during you know many of many of our lifetimes but you know they are still recognized as uh, you know a country that produced a phenomenally uh, talented generation of players so you know there is sort of that historic uh, element to it but, you know, they're also something of an unknown quantity because I think uh, a lot of people remember that they performed above expectations uh, at the Euro in France back in 2016, uh, which enabled a lot of people in the country to sort of discover uh, new teams, new players. Uh, and there's, you know, obviously an added wrinkle as well that, that Hungary have a naturalised Frenchman in the team in Loïc Nigo as well. Uh, you know, and there there have been some people who have been keeping an eye on on his uh, his, his progress. Uh, you know, and have been you know quite happy to see him sort of carving out a, a second international career for himself, as it were, because he represented France at, at youth level, but never at senior level. Uh, you know, so I think there is an element of curiosity uh, around the uh, around the Hungary squad. Uh, and I don't think that everybody will be, you know, taking them uh, for granted. But also at the same time, uh, you know, I think that people feel that, you know, if France apply themselves and take, uh, you know, take their duties seriously, they should be able to, to to beat this Hungary side, despite the fact that they're going to Budapest and the stadium uh, will be full. Yeah, Lloyd Nago is a really funny one, especially, I mean, he's, he was completely instrumental in, in guiding Hungary to this tournament. He scored the eighth, seventh minute equaliser in the playoff and um yeah he's kind of the, the christened him Lausch which is kind of <laughs> almost the uh, uh how the translation would work from Loic um and yeah he played together with Griezmann I think at the under 20 World Cup uh, for France so yeah it's going to be a really special moment for him if he, if he comes on and, and a stat here which may surprise you or may not but um Hungary actually have a winning record against France it's um um They've, Hungary have won 12 and France have won eight. But, I mean, Hungary haven't beaten France since 1976. So it, a lot of those ones came when Hungary were very, very good back in the 50s and a long time before that. But, um, yeah, um, and I guess last question, how do you kind of expect the, the group to go for France and then how far do you expect them to, to get? I mean, I expect France to to get to the latter stages. I think that they'll finish in one of the top two positions. Uh, I just think that what will dictate the way that the group um, shapes up will be Germany. You know, like I said earlier, I think if Germany are playing with nothing to lose, that could make them dangerous, uh, you know, because, you know, if you've got guys of that talent, uh, you know, playing sort of, almost like as, as if they're underdogs in every match uh, that suddenly makes you know them a, a much bigger threat mm. uh, but you know from, from having seen you know France and Portugal having met in the, the the Nations League relatively recently I wasn't particularly you know uh, impressed by either side and I think France have, have had their struggles uh, notably in World Cup qualifying I mentioned that draw with with Ukraine uh, they also had a friendly defeat at home to Finland so you know I think that you know the pressure is going to be on them to really uh, you know uh, relish the the return to this uh, competitive tournament environment uh, and it should 
get the best out of the players. But if it doesn't, I could see France, you know, being under pressure uh, to, to finish in that top two, uh, especially if they get uh, shown up by, by Germany in that opening fixture. So it's important that they make uh, a strong start because if they're beaten by Germany, suddenly that trip to Hungary becomes so much more daunting. Actually, wanted to get your thoughts uh, about how you think Hungary are, are going to fare up against France and in the rest of the group. I, I, I see France as being by far the most difficult game. I think just because on paper the matchup is is so difficult, um, Hungary's team is just not very quick, to be honest. Um, and France have a lot of fast players. Even someone like Kante is rapid and is likely to just burst through our midfield like quite easily. Whereas someone like Germany, I think our defence can kind of hold them off a little bit at, and defend deep and and kind of keep them in front of them. And somewhat and the same with Portugal. I kind of see Portugal as being a team who, like you say, you said earlier, they they start slowly. They're a little bit flaky. We drew to them in the last Euros, and being at home in the in the opener, I kind of feel that. Hungary in a really good position to get something from that game. Like, like um, two of Portugal's best players have been playing this week. They played yesterday. Um, Ruben Diaz played on Saturday for Man City and Bruno Fernandes played in, on Wednesday. And Bruno Fernandes played something like 57 games this season. So Hungary are going to be really, really fresh. They've been together for uh, three weeks today um, as a group training for the tournament and not many teams have, have been together for over a week at this point so like i think the fact that 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 togetherness has been instilled over the last three weeks and throughout the last two years to be honest they play almost like a club team hungary though which is majorly beneficial on international level because we see so many teams that are, are quite ramshackle and just look like players who have been thrown together i don't think that that's the case with france but what we've seen with Germany over the past three years, they do look a little bit like that now. And I think there's, when speaking to Konstantin Ekner, from, um, who's written um, for a number of publications across Europe and is the editor of Spielberg.com, he kind of just says there's kind of an apathy regarding the national team at the moment. And like you say, they're kind of an unknown quantity because they might want to give, they might be a, uh, in a position to give Joachim Love uh, a real good send-off but they might be in a position where they're like oh god I just want to kind of move on to to Hansi Flick and, and get started on the rebuild here so yeah I kind of I I feel super confident to be honest that I went into the last Euros feeling that we're going to get battered I think we're the worst team in the tournament and then here I kind of see Hungary as an outside chance to even get through the group like I feel it's, it's been a weird season and this tournament isn't being seen as a major tournament like like they usually are. Usually like there's so much excitement, so much enthusiasm. And whereas this, I think after COVID and everything and all the, the, the there's not going to be many fans at games, whereas there is going to be fans in games in Hungary and there's going to be such excitement for it. I just feel that they're in a good position to to really cause an upset. And I think it all depends on how Hungary get on in that first probably 15, 20 minutes against Portugal. If they start really well, um, I think it could be a, an interesting three games. Um, it all depends on yeah that first game against Portugal. I see Hungary losing against France just because the matchups just don't look exciting. Um, but then the Germany game, it, it's away in Germany, which is never fun. But... Um, 
I think they potentially could get something out of that, especially if Germany have had two really disappointing early games and Hungary need to win to go through or something. I would, I just, I just, I just would not be surprised if Hungary got through this group. We saw it with someone like Costa Rica back in 2014, where they were put in the group of death against Uruguay, Italy, and England, and end up winning the group and getting to the quarterfinals. So it's not unheard of for a team like this to to do it. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be that that surprised. Which is like I'm speak to everyone, and they're just like, "What are you smoking?" But that's, <laughs> this is how I feel. When when you're talking to to other people about Hungary's chances, is there is a lot made of uh, Zoboslai's potential involvement uh, because he's in the squad but he's been injured for pretty much the entirety of the second half of the season. Yeah, 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 definitely. So um, that is the big fear as well um, because he is our talisman. Um, he. Uh, He's the one player who's got flair and ability to to score from nowhere, and we've not really got that elsewhere. He, he's kind of the, I would say, the only elite attacking player. Well, definitely, definitely the only elite attacking player we've got. We've got elite defensive players and an elite an elite goalkeeper now as well with with Gulacci and and Orban at centre half and Attila Zalai. I would I would also class as elite at Fenerbahce. Um, but the person who can actually score a goal and create something from nothing is Soboslai. And without him in, in top form, which I think it's almost certain that he's not going to be in top form. He hasn't played since the end of November um, and has barely been in training for the, until the past month. Um, his match fitness isn't going to be high at all, but he's still one of them players that almost doesn't need to play well to to have an impact on games because he's got... An incredible shot on him. He's, he's um, incredible at set pieces. Um, create a cross. He's just one of those players that can just stand in the middle of the park and dictate it. Um, he doesn't particularly need, need his legs. He has got legs, but because he's kind of so important to Hungary, he's, he's almost certain to play um, in in the first game. I think he'll get some good minutes in a couple of the friendlies beforehand, and I think. I don't think the hopes of the nation are on his back, but I feel that if if Hungary are going to be um, competitive in this group, then they're going to need him to perform. Um, however, having said that, Hungary were absolutely awesome against Poland in qualifying just a couple of months ago. Um, they should have, they really should have beaten Poland at home uh, with Tuna up and cruising, and then a couple of silly defensive errors meant that Hungary ended up drawing that game. But Poland are a very good side. They did well against England in the qualifier a few days later and arguably should have got a point from them and Soboslai obviously wasn't playing in that game so it's not like Hungary are desperate and desolate without him but he is he is yeah just the player who can score from nowhere and and create a little bit of magic because Hungary's team is is very severely lacking in attacking talent and goals in general um Adam Zalai who has played all season with Mainz um only has one one goal in the league and he's a striker. Um, he is Hungary's top scorer in, in the squad by a long way. Um, no one else has double figures in the in the squad. And our third top scorer is Willy Orban, who's sent half. So like we are we do need him for uh creativity and attack. So it, it, it yeah, like I say, it, the hopes don't rest on his shoulders, but if Hungary are to get through this group, I think they need him. Yeah, shades of uh, David Beckham uh, in 2002. Exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, and Rooney, I think, in, in 2010, uh, praying over his metatarsal. But it's really weird because it, 
he was supposed to be back in like April and then May and then it's it's got to now. So whether he's going to be anywhere near remote, anywhere near fit, I don't know. But um, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of uh, injections in him to try and get him through the three games. Well, fingers crossed we get to see a, a little bit of him. And, uh, uh, you know, I do hope that uh, we, there are some dark horses uh, at this summer's tournament. And it would be great if, if Hungary were one. I remember it was, uh, a, you know, a really enjoyable story while it lasted in uh, 2016. Jonathan, thanks very much for coming on the show. Uh, it's been a pleasure. No, no worries. Thanks a lot for uh, for, for having me. I hope you uh, uh, I hope you enjoyed the cameo from uh, Alfred in the background. Trying to <laughs> it's always great. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Um, as you may have noticed, I recorded this podcast before Soboslai was left out of the squad through injury. So apologies for that. Anyway, what I was going to say was. Worth checking out the other pods as well. We've done a big Euro 2020 preview with Gabby and Chris. And also we have a Portugal preview as well with Thiago Esteban. So go and check out that. And again, thanks for listening to the podcast. Stay safe and uh, keep listening to the podcast.